Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. In the catalogue of Christian festivals, um, Ascension and Ascension Day, which was marked in the Christian calendar last Thursday, is probably one of the least well-known ones, certainly as far as the wider world's concerned. In some ways, it, it, as, as the year progresses, the, the, the celebrations of the Christian festivals become less and less well-known by the general world, by the general public. Christmas is still, at least in, in many ways, still recognised as a Christian festival. Baby Jesus in Bethlehem still appears at school nativity plays. And, and even as we go around doing our shopping or whatever else, then there is Christmas music, which includes Christmas carols. Easter, well, that's different. Bunny rabbits and Easter eggs, with some vague notion about the death of Jesus and perhaps the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And special living in this part of the world, um, Easter marks springtime and new beginnings. When we get to Ascension, and then even to Pentecost, Whitson, which was and still is in some ways a public holiday, although not recognised as a particularly Christian or religious festival. Nonetheless, when we get to these festivals, general public would be very vague as to what they're all about. And even as Christians, we can so easily pass by ascension without really taking on board its full meaning and its significance. And I would want to encourage us as a church, over many years we've sought to mark these Christian festivals. They're part of the calendar of God's great salvation story. The whole story, of course, is recorded from Genesis to Revelation. The people of Israel were encouraged to mark the festivals of faith in, in their pilgrimages and their journeys with God. And so as Christians, we too, following on from the heritage of his, Israel, follow through these great festivals. And each one has its significance and has a point to make. Let me read to you to you just part, or really the whole part, of, of the Ascension story. I'm going to read from Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, and we'll read from verse 1. In my former book, Theophilus, I, that's Luke, wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach, until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. 
if, in a sense, Advent, which is the festival of the Christian church where particularly we focus on the second coming of Christ, also helps us to prepare for the first coming, for Christmas, and therefore we mark it in December as a run-up to the Christmas festival. So, in a sense, Ascension prepares the ground for the gift of Pentecost, something we'll be celebrating and thinking about next Sunday. That vital gift of God's Spirit to the church, not just to some people, to some prophets and to some great men or women of God in the Old Testament times, but to all those who call upon the Lord. And Jesus makes it clear in these final words to the disciple that they are to wait for the gift of the Spirit. But ascension is vital to that story. John tells us that Jesus had promised the disciples that he would return to the Father, and when he did so, he would ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would come and take from Jesus and make him known to them. And so Jesus had to return to the Father. And so the story of the ascension is about just about that, his returning to the Father. Look at what the story tells us. He says that after he had spoken, he was taken up before their very eyes, a cloud hid him from their sight, and they were looking intently up into the sky. The word for intently there, translated in various ways in other versions of the Bible, is a very important word. It's the word that might be used if you're into art, for instance, and perhaps you're visiting an art gallery and some great masterpiece is up there on the wall and you'll stand. And perhaps you've been in an art gallery and passing through relatively quickly as a tourist, but you'll see people standing, perhaps for many minutes, perhaps for a long period of time, gazing at a picture gazing at the artwork, gazing at the story the picture tells, looking at the hidden depths that as time, as you look at it over time, the depths are revealed, um, looking into the story that the picture tells. Well, that idea of looking deeply into something, to gaze into it so that the heart and the mind are informed and illuminated and inspired and stirred, that's the understanding behind the word when the disciples were told were looking intently up into the sky. They were gazing with wonder at what was happening. They were no doubt filled with all sorts of emotions, the, the pain of parting as Jesus was taken from them, the, the, the sense of wonder as they saw him ascend into, into the heavens, um, the, the expectation of what this might mean that Jesus had just told them about, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That and so many other emotions were caught up as these disciples were caught up with gazing intently into the sky. And that's a good reminder for us as to the fact that as believers, as followers of Jesus, all of us are meant to be heavenly minded. We're all meant to gaze intently into the things of God. Paul talks about how he studied intently the scriptures in order that he was, was in a sense, convinced himself and then able to convince others of the fact that Jesus was the fulfillment of the messianic promises from the Bible. He gazed into God's word. Not just into the, 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 the casual surface meaning, but into the depths and significance and into the one that the word of God reveals. That gazing intently, that looking into something with depth and with understanding, that is meant to be the calling of all of God's people. Now, of course, we have our lives. And of course, at the present time, we have all the circumstances round about us that would cause us to gaze intently at other things. When lockdown was imposed, I remember some people did question it, the wisdom of lockdown, basically because it was either easier to lock down, but how were we ever going to get out of it? And as I think time moves on, we're going to discover that some very real concerns are facing us as a society. 
perhaps millions unemployed, um, large amounts of public debt, um, the social cohesion, which was also which was always very fragile in our society, becoming perhaps even more strained, and certainly inequalities within our society becoming more revealed. Businesses going bankrupt, people being made redundant, a whole host of social, economic, and indeed emotional problems coming out of the consequences of lockdown. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be very easy for us all to become so caught up in what's happening round about us as we're bombarded by the media and the scare stories and the speculation and the fanciful notions that they present to us. But as God's people, we are called to consider and to gaze intently upon him and upon the things of God. We do that not by staring up at the sky anymore, but looking into God's word. And as we do so, like the disciples, we will be filled with wonder and with a fresh understanding of what it is to have the mind of Christ. We need to gaze intently upon the things of God. And as the disciples did that, as they stared intently up into the sky, so that helped them to begin to perhaps have a deeper understanding of who Jesus was and is. They had spent time with Jesus. They had journeyed with Jesus. The gospel writers tell us that John and Peter and James went with Jesus up to the Mount of Transfiguration, and there, in the clouds, on a mountain top, God the Father gave his word of commendation to his Son. Interesting enough, in the Bible, mountains and clouds are often connected together, supremely in the story of Mount Sinai where on that mountain top the clouds came down and there was fire and there was thunder and where Moses met with the Lord, not face to face, but as he turned and gazed upon, as he turned to a rock, the Lord's glory passed him. He couldn't gaze on the Lord's glory because his Lord's glory was too, too brilliant for that. And so he had to turn and hide in the shadow of a rock as the glory of God's majesty and might passed by. And yet that glory and majesty of the might of God Paul tells us, is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we see God face to face. And while the world glorifies and rejoices in the gift of Christmas's presence and in the material blessings of that, and alongside that, except that there was a baby born in Bethlehem, perhaps, it has little understanding of what it is to face to face with the glory of God revealed in Jesus Christ. That glory was revealed also as he ascended to heaven, as he went up into the domain of God. Listen to what Paul tells us about this Jesus when he writes, The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The Jesus who ascended from the earth into heaven on that first ascension day, who returned to the Father, 
is this Jesus, the firstborn over all creation, the image of the invisible God. And we need to gaze intently upon the wonder of that. But more than that, his return to heaven was vital as part of his saving work. Listen to what the writer to the book of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 9. Read that chapter later on when you have more time. It's not easy here to be able to spend time on all these verses, but listen to what the writer of the Hebrews tells us. Speaking about Jesus Christ, it says, When Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say is not part of his creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And he goes on to say, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But he has appeared once and for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as people are destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. And the writer finally says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? Now there's a massive amount there that could be unpackaged, far more than just this devotional reflection to do on a Sunday morning or whenever you're listening to this. But you take the point. The ascension of Jesus Christ is central to God's redemptive work. That's why we mark these festivals of God's saving grace. And his return to heaven was all part of that. There at the Father's right hand, he intercedes for us. The writer of the Hebrews tells us he lives to intercede for us. And that therefore means, as the writer of the Hebrews tells us earlier on in his letter, that we therefore have one who does pray for us, where we can enter and receive God's grace. Listen to this. Therefore, since we have a great high, great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. And so as the disciples looked intently, they began to understand more of who Jesus was and is. And that is is vital for us. One of the very real challenges that the Western Church faces is that we've turned the Christian faith, which is meant to bring glory to God, into something which often, unfortunately, in various manifestations, actually becomes self-serving and self-seeking. 
So much have we elevated the importance of self and our culture, and we see that even within the present crisis in various ways. So much have we elevated the, the doctrine of self that even the gospel becomes self-centered. That is wrong, and I'm sure God in his judgments being worked out in a world at the present time is working out his judgments, as the Bible tells us, which begins, first of all, with the house of God by challenging us, by rebuking us, and by reminding us that we are not to look into ourselves and see the Christian faith as something which is all about me, but actually it's about God's glory, about his majesty, and about who he is, the God, yes, who has a passion for people, in order that we might glorify him and enjoy him forever. And the ascension of Jesus Christ is all part of God's great redemptive work, and we are to give him glory for that, and not primarily or purely think about how we benefit. And lastly, as the disciples gazed, the angels came to him, two men dressed in white symbolic and reminder of the angels who appeared at the, at the, the garden tomb. Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And then the disciples return to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. The angels come along. The angels who were told are constantly attending to God and carrying out his commands. And in some ways, perhaps you can almost see the angels saying, well, what are you guys doing standing here gazing up there? You know, let's get on with it. There's a work to be done. There's promises to be fulfilled. There's things to be received. There's expectations to become realities. There's a mission to the world that's to be, that's to be undertaken. And the disciples heard that challenge and that reminder and went back to Jerusalem and waited upon God's promise, the promise of Pentecost. We too are called to get on with it as we look intently as we gaze upon who God is and what he has done, as our hearts are filled, and how I miss that this morning we cannot celebrate this in the Lord's house, in the sanctuary, singing the great hymns of Ascension Sunday. We are missing out so much by not being able to do that. As we gaze upon these things, our hearts should be stirred to give God the glory, to praise him for who he is and what he has done, and to, as we look intently upon these things, to remind ourselves, as we're reminded by God, that he calls us to get on. We are to be heavenly-minded so that we are of earthly use. Let me say that again. We are to be so heavenly-minded that we are of earthly use. Use, bringing the fragrance of Jesus Christ to bear into our homes, into our lives, into our workplaces. In these days when there's so many clattering voices, where self and the importance of self is so dominating in our culture and society, when there are many very real problems and crises that we're going to face, and all that mess and myriad of sound, we are called to be bearers of the promise that finds its yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We need God's help to do that, and therefore we need Pentecost. All of us should be Pentecostal. We all need the Holy Spirit, and next Sunday we'll dwell upon that. But we are called to get on with living out the life of faith in this real world. I know you are doing that. I'm encouraged during this time of crisis of the various stories and testimonies I am hearing of how we are meeting with God in home through these services, through YouTube, through other things that we watch and see. God is ministering to us, but he's doing that so that come the day when things get back to some measure of normality, we'll be ready to do his will and carry on his promises and fulfill his word.
and Ascension Sunday and Ascension Day is all part of that great story. May our hearts be filled with praise, immortal, invisible, God only wise. That is at the heart of our faith. May we worship God with praise and thanksgiving on this special day. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you for the seasons of your church. And we thank you that although society, apart from perhaps Christmas, has little understanding of what these seasons really mean. And even, we have to confess, often your church fails to really take on board and understand the significance of all of these seasons. We thank you as we gather at this season of Ascension and of Pentecost. We have cause to worship you. Your glory is revealed in who you are and is seen in your Son, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lord of glory, the Prince of Peace, the Man of Sorrows, the Suffering Servant, the Risen, Conquering Son, our great high priest who has ascended into heaven and now lives to intercede for his people. Lord, may we gaze intently upon these things. Fill our hearts with a fresh awareness of your majesty. Guard us against the sin of self and enable us to understand what this means as we live our lives out in this present challenging time in our homes within our community, in our relationships, and yes, in our work. Fill our lives with that sense of intent worship so that the fragrance of Jesus may be seen in us. And all of that we ask for the praise and glory and honour of our God's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.